Hello and welcome to the podcast for the September issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here and this month I'm joined by TLID's editor John McConnell. Apologies if the sound quality isn't quite as good as usual. We're on location this month. I've travelled all of 25 yards from my office to John's office to record this podcast as uh, my computer is currently being repaired. John, let's start and there's one research article which was published online a couple of weeks ago, which dominates this month's issue. And we we must talk about it, both the paper and the enormous press reaction to the so-called superbugs story. John, remind us what this article is about. Yes, well, last week, as you say, we we published a paper about a new mechanism of resistance to beta-lactam antibiotics, and in particular, a mechanism of resistance which makes Enterobacteriaceae, so um, a particular type of gram-negative organism, resistant to the carbapenems. And the carbapenems are almost, if you like, our our last defence against antibiotic-resistant organisms. Carbapenem resistance has, of course, been reported before, but this is a relatively new mechanism, which is called NDM1. And NDM stands for New Delhi Metallobetalactamase, because this type of resistance was first reported two years ago in a patient who had returned to Sweden after surgery in India, in New Delhi in particular. And there was no evidence that this person had this particular infection or mechanism of resistance before they went, and they certainly did afterwards. So the association with uh, surgery in in New Delhi was was pretty clear-cut. And what the authors of this study have done, which is a combination of authors from Britain and India, uh, as they've looked at uh, numerous bacterial isolates from the Indian subcontinent and from Britain, and they've identified how many uh, examples of this NDM1 resistance mechanism there are. So in summary, um, they found 44 isolates in Chennai, uh, 26 in Haryana, 37 in the UK, and 73 in other sites in India and Pakistan and, and Bangladesh, actually. The resistance mechanism is found particularly amongst E. coli and Klebsiella pneumoniae. These bugs turned out to be resistant to practically all antibiotics except tigercycline and colistin. Now, as I mentioned, this is not the first time this has been reported. There have been isolated cases reported from Sweden. Last year, the Health Protection Agency in the UK put out an alert about a number of uh, cases emerging in the UK. Earlier this year, I think it was in June, the US CDC put an ad alert about the first three cases of NDM1 resistance in the United States and in the meantime some researchers from India, an entirely Indian team of researchers reported in an Indian journal that they had found numerous isolates in Indian hospitals. So um, not completely a novel finding but the the scope of it is, is I think what's particularly interesting about this paper. What's even more interesting as you suggested, is, is the press reaction. Listening, watching, reading the media reports, and perhaps no coincidence, uh, perhaps as a result of it coming out in the middle of August, which is always a s- slow news time, certainly here in the United Kingdom, but the press coverage has been global. If you read the press reports, some of the press reports, it was as though the end of the world was nigh, in that, you know, basically forget it, antibiotics are going to be of no use in the future, and we've got to start getting used to that idea. It really was a kind of trail of, of, of doom, imminent doom, and human destruction. Was that over overdone in the press? Perhaps a little overhyped. The press like a good disaster story, and the, this paper came out on the same day that the end of the H1N1 pandemic was 
was declared, so this looks a little bit like it's some sort of replacement for, for H1N1 and we're all going to die of antibiotic-resistant infections. And I, I really don't think that's true. I think the paper does sound, and the accompanying commentary does sound, a very important warning about the spread of potentially untreatable antibiotic-resistant infections. We would be, I think most otherwise healthy human beings would be quite unlucky to get one of these infections. And they will tend to uh, infect people who have some sort of underlying medical condition, who are immunosuppressed, who have gone into hospital perhaps for surgery for some reason. I mean, the very first case was amongst was a, in a patient who was actually diabetic. But I think there is a potential here for the spread of infection which is difficult if not well nigh impossible to treat and that we should be very aware that we need to be doing something about this now before it becomes a much more widespread problem and I think the problem is that essentially not a great deal of that is being done about it except for the regular infection and good old-fashioned infection control mechanisms because the the pharmaceutical industry doesn't appear to be terribly interested perhaps something a little unfair but they don't seem to be terribly interested in developing new antibiotics which might treat these otherwise resistant infections. Yeah that was a Again, the question I had really, developing new drugs, new antibiotics is not a fashionable thing, is it, for industry to do? We've been worrying about MRSA for a while, but there are actually a, a lot more antibiotics available to treat MRSA than they are to treat these resistant gram-negative. Like uh, Yes, like vancomycin is mm. still pretty effective. There are other newish drugs which have, which have come onto the market uh, which can treat MRSA, but the, the locker is almost bare for these antibiotic-resistant Enterobacteriaceae. So we're down to something called tigercycline, which is a, a relatively new antibiotic, which the, these um, NDM1-resistant organisms are not universally susceptible to, but it's an option. And also something called colistin, which is a very, very old drug, been around for a long time, and pretty much went out of use in the 1960s because of concerns over safety. We're now back to having to think about using it, and not just think about it, it's actually being used, because there is almost nothing else left. But I think what's particularly interesting about the press reaction, to go back to that, was how the Indian media treated the reports of this paper because obviously as I say this is not the first time it's been reported but it's almost certainly the first time that it's got into the, the press to any degree and obviously once news organizations start taking it up then there's a domino effect and other news organizations start taking it up. The Indian media and certain Indian politicians have been very offended by the fact that it's called um, named after their capital, New Delhi. It's not at all uh, uncommon to, to name resistance mechanisms and bugs in general after the places from where they originated. Mexican flu. Uh, <laughs> Mexican flu. There's, a, there's, a, there's another carbapenes. Right, there are other carbapenes resistance mechanisms, one of which is named after Verona, where it was first discovered. I mean, if I give yeah. you an example of the um, community-associated MRSA strain, which is causing a particular problem at the moment in some parts of the world, that's called USA 300, you know. So it's not at all unusual. Was there some sort of almost denial and sort of outrage then from some parts of the Indian political and press community? Then? I, I think there was denial and outrage, but, but, but what's, what's interesting is that as the story has developed, there's been a little bit more mature commentary in both the media in, um, in, in the West um, and in the media in India, as they, they've analysed the information a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, all the press have. Uh, they've done some much better informed comments. They've traced the history of the emergence of these resistant bugs in a little bit more detail. And they've pointed out that although the, the data to firmly link 
the emergence of NDM1 from India are not absolutely solid. I think the circumstantial evidence is, is as good as we're, we're going to get. But importantly, I think most commentators have now come round to pointing out that, they're, that rather than blaming the messenger, there really is a problem here. And it's a much bigger problem than just this one organism. It's the problem, um, it's, it's the problem of the emergence of antibiotic resistance infection in general. And that uh, all countries in the world, including India, need to take the problem very seriously. And governments should be uh, doing a lot more to encourage the pharmaceutical industry uh, to develop new ways of combating uh, this problem and other problems of antibiotic resistance. And also that in countries that have fairly poor surveillance systems at the moment, we need much better surveillance systems to track the emergence of this and other resistance mechanisms so that we will be prepared for the future. So in general, I think it's interesting how the press reaction has gone from, uh, some, in some sense, uh, appearing to make India a pariah state, which was unfair, to um, India, not un the Indian journalists and the politicians, not unnaturally reacting with a little bit of outrage to a much more mature and informed analysis. And I think probably <clears throat> on balance, despite some fairly um, scary headlines, actually when you reflect on it, probably a good thing because an issue like this, you want as much awareness as possible, don't you? It is a good thing. As I've said, the, this story is not completely new. The, the NDM one was first reported two years ago and, of course, generated absolutely no press and political interest whatsoever. And so sometimes if it takes this sort of um, exaggeration of the issue to generate the necessary awareness and reaction, then so be it. Thanks, John. We could talk all day. We have been talking virtually all day, <laughs> all afternoon about it, but we, we'd better close. But just before we do, John, do you want to just signpost a couple of other items in the September issue of TLID? I would like to talk about the Leading Edge editorial, which uh, just discusses um, a very interesting issue at the moment. There have been this new way of looking at genetic associations called genome-wide association studies. And just uh, speculating on what's the real value in clinical practice of doing these, uh, it's a very interesting research tool at the moment but we do ask the question of um, while there are much more immediate problems you know is this money well spent and uh, how carefully do we need to look at investment in these things I think the answer is really that we need to be investing in these things otherwise we won't have the the tools along a long way down the line but perhaps this is something which we need to quiet our excitement about for the time being and then of course this is the second issue of Lancet infectious diseases which has research papers in it one of the other research papers looks at the um, efficacy of a um, artesunate combination therapy against um, schistosoma mansonine. So that's Bill Hart's here in, in Kenyan children. That's an open label randomized trial. And then we have a paper which looks at the diagnostic approaches for paediatric tuberculosis. And that's a study which, which has taken place in, in Peru. So I hope another um, varied, interesting and, and entertaining issue of the Lancet infectious diseases. As ever.